What's up guys and welcome to another episode of Believe It or Not. Today's episode is going to be part 2 of the Calhoun Creeper case. But before I start today, I'd like to make a few announcements. Thank you all for listening to last episode. It seemed to really blow up. It seemed like a lot of people were listening and I had a lot of a lot of kind and thoughtful messages coming in telling me that I've been doing a good job and to keep up the good work. And I I, I just want to go ahead and tell everyone that next episode of Believe It or Not will be the last episode for good. Again, thank you all thank you all so much for your love and support. Last week we talked about the beginning of the Calhoun Creeper, the first victim and the next three victims, and we also talked about the events leading up to the disappearance of May, Lily, and Rachel. So if you have not listened to the first episode, I would advise you to go ahead, listen to the first episode before you listen to this one. So here we go. Heather and Keith immediately called the cops. Detective Moore and other officers arrived within minutes. The investigation began practically immediately. Heather, Keith, Tyler, and Daisy gathered some of their belongings and left to stay in a motel for the night, or however long the investigation would go on. At, by the end of it, it went on for nine days. The Whaley's weren't allowed back in their home until it was finished, so anything they had to get from the house, they would have to get that night they were not allowed to be they were not allowed to be back in the home during the investigation the first thing austin moore looked at was the note that heather found they call me cc the calhoun creeper he wouldn't realize that this man was the same person who killed amanda for another day or two when he found evidence that linked amanda and the three missing girls it was around 1 a.m. when Austin and a few others were gathering evidence. The Whaley's neighbor, Crystal Smith, approached an officer as she was hysterically crying. The officer tried to call her the officer tried to calm her down, but she finally gets her words out. She tells this officer that her husband was lying in the kitchen of her home, dead. The officer takes Crystal over to Detective Moore, who she explains the same thing to. Austin follows Crystal into her home, and sure enough, her husband, Brian, was lying on the kitchen floor, dead. Brian had been stabbed five times in the chest and stomach. This information made the authorities re- the, uh, ma This information made the authorities rethink the other crime scene. Brian's body was found in front of a window that looked out into the Whaley's backyard. This made Austin think that Brian had seen something he wasn't supposed to. 
this being the murder or kidnapping of the three girls. When the next morning came around, Austin called in the family. He questioned Keith and Heather, and they explained the events that occurred before their daughter's disappearance. I'm sure you all could guess where this is going. They questioned me first. I was at home in my bedroom when my dad knocked on the door. I remembered my I remembered the phone ringing maybe a minute or two ago. Heather had called us several hours ago and let us know what had happened. My dad, my sister, and I were devastated. We couldn't believe what we were hearing. When my dad walked in the room, I could see the look on his face. I was hoping that maybe they had found who killed who kidnapped May and her friends, but no. That's not what he was about to tell me. His exact words to me that day were, They want you at this station. They have questions for you. My heart dropped because I had no idea what they could have wanted. As soon as my father and I walked into the department, Heather and Keith were sitting in the lobby. To this day, I can remember the look Heather gave me. If you could, if you could with a look. Then I would have died just then. Mr. Luke, the voice of a male, called out from the other side of the room. I turned to face the tall man, Detective Moore. I have a few questions for you, he explained himself. My dad was with me the entire time when we were in the small room in the back of the precinct. He started, he started out being nice and friendly, then he got to the point. Heather told me... Heather told me she talked to you last night. You were getting ice cream and offered to take May, Rachel, and Lily home. You took them home, correct? He asked. He had asked while giving me a stern look. Yeah, is all I told him. Did you know you were the last person to have seen them? He asked. My heart was already racing, but his question made it worse. I just shook my head. I had no idea. What time did you leave last night? His tone changed with this question. Which gave it away. He, th he thought I did it. My dad spoke up. He had also noticed the tone change. You think a 17-year-old kidnapped these girls? My dad stood to his feet. I'm just laying out my options, Austin explained. I'm sure you want their kidnapped. I'm sure you want their kidnapper found just as much as anybody else does. My dad nodded his head. It was true. But I have one, but I have more of a reason to ask you questions than your son, Austin told. I'm explaining this information now because at this point in 1991, I found out the truth about why my father was in prison for 10 years. When I was two, my father had killed a man in self-defense, but it wasn't ruled out as self-defense. He had been cheating on my mom with a younger girl, but when the girl's boyfriend found them together, he attacked my dad. The boy was 19, and the only witness was the girl my dad was sleeping with. So where were you last night? Detective Moore asked my father. We were both at home explained my father. Austin turned to look at me as if he was wanting me to back up my dad's claim. We were, I told. Were what? The man was ticking me off. I already felt weird sitting in here, and he kept prying for more answers when we didn't know a dang thing. We were at home, 
I exclaimed. My father asked if we were free to go, and we left the precinct. Detective Moore called in Brandon Edwards soon after we left. Brandon was the cousin of Rachel, who had who had went missing the night before along with May and Lily. He was brought in due to his previous encounter with Tyler, especially after what had happened the night before. Brandon claimed he was at home and his dad backed his claim. This brought Austin to a halt in an investigation. He had no idea who to look into and to the Whaley's and to the Whaley's it seemed like he had given up. The only thing Austin had done was put an APB out for the three girls. Nothing happened for another two days when a call came in at the police station. Austin picked up the phone to hear an old woman's voice. I saw the three girls who went missing, she explained. Austin felt relieved. It was the only tip he'd gotten on their disappearance and he hoped it'd lead him to their whereabouts. The woman's claim she the woman claims she saw the three girls and a tall male get into a truck and drive away. Detective Moore brings the woman in for questioning and she explains that she saw them early that same morning at a gas station in Dalton, Georgia, a town just less than 30 minutes away from Calhoun. Austin Moore and other officers raced to the nearby town and arrived at the gas station where they retrieved the surveillance footage from a, from a few hours ago and found, the tall, and found the tall man along with three young girls get out of a red Ford supercab. As soon as, Austin, as soon as Austin watched the tall man in the video, he knew this was his man. Luckily, the surveillance camera caught the license plate of the truck so Austin could find out who this man was. Austin immediately made the call to look up the license plate. It was a matter of seconds when the woman on the other side of the phone told him the name of the man. William James Taylor, 51 years old. He lives in Dalton, 171 Keith Street. Detective Moore quickly left the gas station he was at. He called for backup and made his way to William's home. Austin arrived within minutes of leaving the gas station. He and his backup exited the cars and slowly made their way to the front door. The red Ford supercab sat in the driveway so Austin knew they had the right place. Austin knocked on the door, hoping the man would answer, but nobody came to the door. He knocked a few more times and this time a woman opened the door. Is William your husband? Austin asked the woman. The woman nodded her head, not knowing what to do or say. Austin remembers staring into the home and seeing the tall man peek around the corner and looked Austin right in the eyes. Detective Moore, posh Detective Moore pushed the woman out of the way and ran into the home. He tackled William to the floor and immediately put him in handcuffs. Austin told him that Austin told him the Miranda rights and pulled him in, and pulled him up to his feet. I'm sorry I'm stumbling a little, a little on my words today. William continued to ask Austin what was going on and he claimed he had no idea about any murders or kidnapping involving three girls. But Austin continued to fight the man. 
When William was taken to the station, he explained that the three girls were his granddaughters. William's wife, Brenda, backed up his claim. Austin felt helpless with the case until finally he got the call. Austin and a group of, inve of other investigators were in the Whaley house looking for more clues when something came over the radio. We've got a body of a young girl in the back of a car in the junkyard at Leroy's Metal Recycling. When Austin arrived at the junkyard, he was taken to the car. The trunk opened and Austin became confused. The girl was younger than a teenager. She was probably five through nine. For the first time, Austin noticed something scratched into the top of the inside of the trunk. It said CC, just like the note the Whaley's found had said. This was another murder of the Calhoun Creeper. Once the body was taken out of the trunk, it was identified to be Amy Little, an eight-year-old who went missing out of Adairsville two weeks ago. The, the car had arrived at the junkyard a week ago and was just about to be crushed before the owner, Leroy, came in and searched the Honda. Leroy told Detective Moore that the car was brought to the yard by one of their tow trucks. The driver of that truck spoke to Austin and explained that he had that he had seen that the Honda had been sitting in an abandoned parking lot for a few days, and he decided to bring the tow truck and take the car to the junkyard. Uh, Amy was last seen with her single mother on March the 25th. Her mother, Charlotte, was found dead in her in her apartment in Adairsville, a town ten miles away from Calhoun. Amy was thought to have died close to a week ago, around the same time that Amanda Wright went missing. On Amy's body, a necklace with a small golden pendant that had CC carved into it was found around her neck. Austin, Austin didn't think this was just a coincidence, but he soon revisited the evidence found with Amanda Wright's body. The first time looking at the seat, at the evidence... Austin didn't realize Amanda's necklace. He had no he had no reason to believe that the CC carved on Amanda's necklace had anything to do with a serial killer. He just hoped there weren't other victims of this so-called Calhoun creeper. A key to a motel was found in the glove box in the glove box of the Honda, but running the license plate numbers didn't lead Austin to anything. The vehicle was Amy's mother, Charlotte Little. Within the next few hours, Detective Moore and other officers found the motel key, found the motel that the key belonged to. They found the room it belonged to, but before they could go in, the owner of the small motel told the Calhoun City Police Department that they would need a search warrant before entering the motel room. The warrant wasn't issued until the, af the, until the afternoon of the next day. In the meanwhile, the owner of the hotel of the motel was questioned about the resident of the room, but he claimed a woman paid for the room. This news shocked Detective Moore. He didn't know if the Calhoun Creeper was a male or a female now. He thought it was a male, but this new news made him rethink his early decision about the killer. Early the next morning, the, cor the coroner called in Detective Moore. Amy's cause of death, of death was, was from three stab wounds in the chest. 
One was right in the heart. She had also suffered from several blows to the head, bruises all over her body, and marks around the neck, suggesting that she had been strangled several times. The, the coroner found evidence of rape and started a rape kit. Skin cells were also found under Amy's fingernails. Once the rape kit was finished, it and the skin cell cells sample from under her fingernails were sent to Atlanta, where they ran the test as quick as possible. Detec Detective Moore wouldn't find out the results to the DNA for another two days. The next day, Austin and others got into the motel room and began their search. The department destroyed the the department destroyed the entire room, searching for anything that could lead them to their killer. Austin was the one to find the first clue. He, as he rummaged through the nightstand bed beside the ta beside the bed, he noticed something hanging out from between the mattress and the box spring. It looked like the handle to a plastic shopping bag. Austin threw the mattress off of the bed, revealing a white shopping bag. After opening it, his heart dropped. There were several necklaces. All of them were identical, and all of them had CC carved into a gold pendant. After looking through all of the evidence, there were 13 necklaces to count. 15 in total, including the necklaces on Amy and Amanda. The investigation came to a halt yet again until they finally got a match to the DNA found underneath Amy's fingernails. Austin received the letter in the mail that included the charts and the DNA sample. Austin was shocked when he saw the name of the person who the DNA matched. It was Henry Wells, the same man who had been seen talking to Amanda Wright by the Whaley's name neighbor, Barbara. Austin quickly left the station along with backup and arrived at Henry's house within minutes. When Henry came to the door, Austin immediately spoke up. He was under arrest for the murder of Amy Little, Amanda Wright, and the kidnappings of May Whaley, Lily Hatfield, and R Rachel Edwards. Austin was relieved to know that their killer was caught, but they still didn't know where May, Lily, or Rachel were. When Henry was brought into the station, he was questioned a second time for the murder of Amanda Wright. Still, he claimed he didn't kill Amanda, just as his boss had backed his claim. He claimed that he had nothing to do with Amy's death, which Austin did not believe. Henry confessed to killing Charlotte. He explained that him and Charlotte had a relationship, and when she, tried, and when she had tried to leave him, he snapped and killed her. He then kidnapped Amy and moved her to Calhoun with him. He, he confessed to raping Amy just before she escaped from his house. After that, he claimed he hadn't seen Amy ever again. Henry was charged for the murder of Charlotte and for the rape of Amy, but the murder of Amy still went unsolved. Detective Moore only had one last straw to pull. The next day, he found the jeweler that made the custom necklaces for the for the Calhoun Creeper, the American Gem Society. When he brought the necklaces in, the woman at the front desk didn't recognize him, but her co-worker did. He claimed he claimed he remembered a man coming in and asking if they did custom jewelry. 
This happened a few months ago, and the man gave him the design, and he got to work on it. The worker, George Walton, revealed he made 20 necklaces for the man. When describing the man, George tells he wore a he wore a ragged he wore ragged clothes. He couldn't tell the age of the man, but if he had to guess, he was probably in his 20s. He was tall, he had a beard that looked like 2003 Orlando Blooms and Pirates of the Caribbean. At least that's what the sketch looked like. Unfortunately, there were no surveillance cameras that caught a good look at the man's face, but George was able to give the CCPD sketch artist a good description of the man for a sketched portrait. Like I said, he looked like 2003 Orlando Bloom in Pirates of the Caribbean. When the artist was finished, Detective Moore seemed to know the person's face. The man looked familiar to him. Austin tells Eleven Alive, an Atlanta-based news network, that it seemed like it was just after he looked at the artist's sketch that someone came over the radio. It was 3.04 when the dispatcher said, I got a 31-year-old male on the phone claiming he found a dead body of a young girl in Nelson Lake. Austin stopped everything he was doing and left the jewelry store. When he arrived at the lake, he met, a, he met the 31-year-old male at Overton Cemetery, which was located beside the lake. The man, Lee, led Austin and a few other officers to the lake. Lee pointed out into the lake where the body was floating somewhere in the middle of the lake. Austin called for an extraction, and they arrived within the next hour. When the body was brought to land, the girl was thought, was thought to be identified as Rachel Edwards, one of the three girls that went missing four days ago. Nobody was 100% sure who it was until Rachel's parents were brought to the lake to identify the girl. Sure enough, it was Rachel Edwards. The only question burning in Austin's mind was, where is May and Lily? After the identification of the body, Austin ordered a search around the lake. He was sure that the other girls must be around here. At this point, there was no hope for the Whaley's or the Hatfields that their daughters were alive. If Rachel was dead, then they thought for sure that May and Lily were also. During the search, Rachel's body was taken to a mortuary for an autopsy. The report wouldn't come back until the next day. Austin and the rest of the Austin and the rest of the department began their search around the lake. By the time the next body was found, the sun had started to set. Austin tells this Austin tells that searching was pretty hard at this point. He started to give up before he heard something over the radio. I'm on the other side of Oak Grove Road. There's a strip of water over here. I found something, a man explained. As soon as Austin met the officer, he pointed his flashlight out over the small body of water. A body lied on the bank of the lake. It was covered in mud. It took a bit longer to recover the body, but as soon as they did, Austin knew this girl was Lily Hatfield. He immediately felt bad for the Whaley's. They had only found Rachel and Lily, but had yet to find May. He knew the Whaley's would be de devastated. The CCPD continued to look throughout the night, but sadly, they had seen nothing. A storm rolled up on them, and it began to pour, which made it even more difficult for the department to search for May Whaley. Their only option was to wait out the weather 
and try again in the morning, and they did just that. Austin says that the night before they found May's, May's body, he didn't get any sleep. All the bodies that they had found in the past week haunted him the entire night. As soon as the sun rose, the CCPD was out by Nelson Lake. They began their hour-long search, but to everyone there, it felt like an entire day. Austin was with a canine unit when they neared the bank of the lake. The, do the dog started barking and took off through the woods. When Austin and the officer caught up with the dog, they saw him sniffing around a metal rowboat. The dog continued to bark, and that's when Detective Moore noticed blood on it and noticed blood in the boat, but there was nobody. Austin took his attention away from the boat and looked across the lake, where he where he saw a small island. It was the first time he had thought to search the island in the center of of Nelson Lake. He knew the island was there, but it didn't occur to anybody to search the island. Austin immediately called for water and rescue. Once they arrived, they took a boat to the island. Austin tells he was the first one off of the boat. He ran around the few yards long island and stopped when he spotted the bare dirt in the center of the island. Something was buried here, and Austin knew it. The entire island was covered in vegetation and grass, except this part. The dirt was dug up within the next few minutes, and when they found May's body buried, just one foot under the ground, everybody was shocked. Her head was missing. This was the first time they found one of the Calhoun Creepers' victims with, with a missing body part. This baffled Austin. He also wondered why May was the only body the Calhoun Creeper buried, when the others were left out in the open. Was it an act of favoritism? Like she was the only one worthy enough of a regular burial? Or was it to hide evidence? Also, where was May's head? Alright guys, that is all for today's episode. Um, thank you all for listening to another episode. Now we'll see you right back here next week for part 3 of 3 of the Calhoun Creeper.